Welcome back. Welcome back. And if you're here for the first time, hello. How are you? How's your mom? Great. My name is Octavio, and I will be your host this evening. And it's your boy, Will. And I'm Emily. Today, we are heading to New York City to talk about a story that is infamous and mysterious. So God Save the Queen. Well, I guess I should say God Save the King now, right? That's what it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God Save the King. Anyway, join us in these bloodthirsty times. do on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times today's episode is a wild ride and it's a story that i thought i knew pretty well because for a time in high school i thought i was a punk rock kid and I learned a whole bunch about punk and its origins. But really, as much as I respect like OG punk rock, it's, it really wasn't for me. It's a stepping stone to the music that I actually love. Um, but good thing for all of you guys out there is that for today's episode, I've invited my friend Chris Hahn, who is actually punk, not just pretends to be like me, but he is the guitarist and vocalist of a band called Old Cross which is the band that was playing in the beginning. He's also the founder of Zombie Media Records. Everybody, Chris Hahn. So, Chris. Welcome. Yo, good to be here. I'm stoked. Glad welcome back again. You. Yeah, welcome yes. back for round two. <laughs> yeah. We've already tried this once. And people in the audience won't know. We've done this well, before. Like, this is deja vu. <laughs> I think like 20 people might know. <laughs> 20 people will probably know, but the, the rest of you. They're the special right. ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what you got going on, Chris? What's going on with you, man? Uh, not too much. Just been, I'm in my studio that I'm rebuilding, getting that done, uh, for zombie media records bands and, uh, just planned a tour out and, uh, getting ready to go on that at the end of October. End of October. How, how far are you going to head out? Uh, we're just doing a West coast run. Okay. Uh, down through California and then back up to Washington. Getting to reach all the way down to our, uh, our hometown? Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, driving through, going to say hi to everybody, and then uh, playing at Till Two Club in San Diego. Nice, nice. man. Nice. Yeah. And that's uh, Old Cross, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're in uh, the West Coast, check out Old Cross and their tour. Wherever, look them up. I'm sure you can find their tour dates coming up in October, which is awesome. But yeah, man, uh, thanks for being here again. I know you're super busy and this is actually hard to plan with you, but you're here now. So let's, yes, let's we, get into this, man. You've, so you've, uh, you've heard this story before. I mean, besides from the last time, but <laughs> before that, you knew this story, <laughs> right? What? I yeah. don't know yeah. anything about this. I, I don't yeah. know who these people are. I know particularly a little bit more now, but yeah, we'll, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, almost the entire story. <laughs> right. And I think that you don't. <laughs> yeah. Right. I've, I have had time to think about it more and, uh, not much has changed though. Yeah. So, process. so we'll <laughs> see, we'll, we'll <laughs> do another run through it and see where we're at. But yeah. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, uh, this is a long story, so we're going to just jump right into it. Let's so do it. if, if you like any kind of punk, you've probably heard about the deadly saga that's been referred to as a Romeo and Juliet story. 
But Sid and Nancy are far from that. And the story isn't one that should be romanticized. Like I said at the top, I honestly thought I knew a lot about this story and I thought it was going to be a breeze. But then I dove in and I read Lonely, Lonely Boy by Steve Jones because I watched the show Pistol and it talked about Sid and Nancy. So I thought, hey, the book the show is based off would probably have a ton more info, right? But really... I just learned so much more about the absolute shit show that was the Sex Pistols in the early years. And the book kind of like flies by the whole Sid and Nancy thing. Because turns out Steve Jones was on a bunch of meth and stuff in Brazil. So, yeah. So, yeah, he, he didn't really have anything to write. He just knew what what everyone else knows, essentially. So that wasn't really much help. But again... Now I know way too much about the Sex Pistols. Then I found a documentary called Sad Vacation, which will be my main source for today. But also I watched uh, Who Killed Nancy and then a little short documentary called Sid Vicious Last 24 Hours. And um, it's crazy because after the book and Sad Vacation, I was thinking I had known the story enough to write this out. But then I just, you know, you just kept finding more and more. And actually, since the last time we did this, I found a ton more. <laughs> I found even more places to get info from. So this episode is actually a little bit different than last than the last one, just a little bit. Yeah, no, no one's gonna know that. No one's gonna know. Yeah. yeah, I should probably stop bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, now like, it's yeah. a little bit different than the last one. The like, last and that one. was just like for one. the special people, the ones who get yeah. in first. Yeah, those are for the, I guess the, the, v- the VIPs. The, yeah, the hardcore fans. That'll be the B side. Yeah. Yeah, really sound followers. like the actual band, followers get band camp only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for us, that would be what? Uh, what's that website that we can give to us? Patron. Yeah. 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 yeah Patreon. Yep. Patreon. There it is. That's the one. Anyways, so to start the story of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, apparently not Spungen, Spungen. Uh, I have, yeah, I was saying yeah. wrong. Wait, it, it's Spungen, not Spungen? Yeah, yeah, I found we an interview with Go Spungen, though. Yeah, I like Spungen a lot spongin. more. Oh, wait, that whole movie I watched said Spungen. Yeah, but in the interview, it was it was with the uh, Deborah Spungen. So I like Spungen, though. I'm going to keep saying Spungen. You know what? Yeah. You know what? Yeah. yeah. Fuck the naysayers. Yeah. Or the person whose name it belongs to. Yeah, Maybe I was going to say, or the person whose <laughs> name it belongs to. How you truly say your, your last name. I don't care. Yeah, I I know how it's said, but I'm still choosing not to. Yeah. So anyway, America, this is still America. (laughs) To start this story, I have to take this back to 1972 when Steve Jones and Paul Cook, along with a few friends, were in a band called The Strand or The Swanks. Both probably. The Swanks is what I heard on the show, but you can pick whichever one you like more. That's what they were called. Doesn't really matter. We're just picking and choosing what we like best here. Whatever you want, you can change history however you want at this point. So this group of friends would hang out on King Street and visit like there's like a bunch of it's like a shop row of shops and there's a bunch of cool shops in this row. And one in particular was owned by Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood. And at the time it was known as Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. And this shop, despite having only two owners since 1971, changed its name five times because the owners were similar to content creators of today that try to like stay on trend so they can make as much money as possible. So whatever was cool at the time, that's what they changed their name to and who they catered to. It just depends on what who's spending money. 
But right before they changed their name for the fifth time, Steve asked Malcolm to, to manage them as the Swankers. He took them on, but shortly after that, he went off to New York in late 1974 to manage the New York Dolls, in which he famously crashed and burned when he took his progressive style just a little too far by dressing the New York Dolls in these bright red leather outfits. And then on stage, they had like the scythe and hammer behind them like the communist symbol. Oh yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. What? It's, it's, like, the, it's like, they were like the communist Freddie Mercury's. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They were do the, I wish I wish I could show you guys pictures of them in, in their nice little leather, like outfits, like shiny leather, not even just like regular, like that kind of plastic looking leather. You know what I'm talking about? But, yeah. <laughs> Could be. But it was like skin tight suits and, and then they were just full, full on communist out. But after this spectacular failure, he came back and changed the store's name to Sex, just Sex, and put all his energy and attention into the Swankers. Now, the history of the Sex Pistols is loaded with all kinds of firings and lineup changes. And that started with uh, only Steve and Paul of the Swankers being pulled into Malcolm's new project where he also invited a worker of his named Glenn Matlock to play bass. Paul Cook stayed on drums, and even though Steve had been the vocalist for the Swankers, Steve was asked to play guitar, even though Steve doesn't know how to play guitar. But as we will find out, knowing how to play an instrument isn't a requirement to join the Sex Pistols. Or just, yeah, any band when you're playing <laughs> three-chord punk rock. <laughs> it yeah. still happens all the time. Not gonna name any bands, but sometimes. But I need to know some. Portland, I love Portland so much, and the Pacific Northwest. But they like a lot of scenes out here. Just they just don't know how to play any of their instruments, and they're just, you like, just learn. Let me you, you learn. Yeah, you learn three chords, and that's yeah. it. And, and uh, you just play them over and over and over again. Oh, I'm just imagine mm. they're just like strumming or whatever, just like doing nothing. Right. And it super elitist of me to say, but. It's just true. It's well, yeah, true. I don't know if it's elitist to say that you should probably know how to play an instrument before you join a band. But sure. let me ask okay. you this, Chris. Good point. Let me, ask you know, this. let me ask you this. Those dudes who are in those bands, how cool do they look, though? That's the thing, is they look very, very cool. So That's that's all you need, man. That's fuck, all you need. Fuck being talented. Look yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. Be born good looking. Okay? That's mm -hmm. all you got to do. Right. It's, it's that simple. It's almost like uh, they're revolting against like like the jocks and whatever that like look cool and like they're all about that image but then they're really not any different it's kind of the same style of choice yeah, yeah. i mean just like i've heard D and D is the same as like um what's that uh when you draft uh what's that shit called the yeah fantasy football and stuff fantasy, fantasy football yeah D, &D oh. and fantasy football are kind of the same i mean the, people aren't different yeah. What is right. D &D? Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons. And Dragons. Oh my God. Come on, woman. Mm. <laughs> Are we going to start talking about World of Warcraft 2? No, sir. No, that's a video okay. game. Come on. Whatever. Rookie. Turn off her mic. It's all bullshit. <laughs> Turn it Sorry. off. It's a different podcast, but yes, we, yeah. <laughs> we're jumping to that one next for sure. <laughs> yeah. So now that these, uh, well, the swanker still. 
uh now that they had a guitarist well kind of they had a drummer and a bass player now all they needed was a front man so malcolm went out and reached out to like loads of people who went on to be like in revolutionary bands that changed rock and roll forever but all of them told malcolm no so one day they see a guy with green hair and a pink floyd shirt that he had written i hate so it said i hate pink floyd on it and he's just walking down king street and just they look at this guy and malcolm's like yeah that's the guy he's gonna be our lead singer and they walked up to hey you want to be a singer in a band uh and he's like yeah and that guy's name is john lydon and that's all it took hey you're cool looking come sing in my band i don't give a shit what you sound like i feel like they would care about the singer maybe not knowing how to play an instrument but singing is like no, no the just... front man the front man is more than anything just looks like he he's the face of the band so he has this obviously he has a i hate pink floyd shirt he probably had like his green hair is probably spiked in some way he i don't know he just fit the punk look that uh glenn or that um fucking guy was looking for i don't know why i can't remember fucking, his name fucking guy okay but malcolm, malcolm. Bands and like you need someone who looks good but also knows how to sing i would think well i mean mm. think about like imagine it's grungy it's grungy yeah. punk like now you have auto-tune also that's, that's, awesome. that's true. Tune their vocals to everything, mm-hmm. to whatever. Yeah, you and then want. you go you go see them live, and you're like, "Is this the same person? <laughs> yeah, the same band? Are you sure?" Well, I mean, like, <laughs> like I was saying, just think of like Imagine Dragons. They're like one of the softest rock bands ever. But fucking dude in the front took off his shirt. And he has like an eight pack, and he looks all muscular for no reason. Like, dude, you're an Imagine Dragons. Calm down. Like, there's no need for any of this. Yeah, and there's no need for it. All over like our them. social media feeds, a hundred percent. Like. Just imagine dragons. That yeah. photo. <laughs> you guys are you guys are bathroom music at a freaking TGI Fridays. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Here. No, but for real, have you guys seen that guy with the shirt off? Because it's incredible. Yes. I yeah. Have. He's buff. It's incredible. His, yeah. Now is, that we're telling the truth, fucking, yeah. he is yoked, man. That guy. Is, he's good the truth. I have life. never looked at that photo <laughs> once in my do, life. Do, okay, do yourself a favor and look at it because my God, whoo. Anyways, whew, I'll you had the poster of him above our bed. It's true. It's true. So now that Steve Jones, Paul Cook, Glenn Matlock, and John Lydon were together, Malcolm officially changed their name to the Sex Pistols in 1975. From the start, the Sex Pistols were a fucking mess uh, because S- Steve was still learning the guitar. Paul was decent on drums and it seemed like Glenn Matlock was the only actually talented member because John wasn't that great as a singer and actually didn't fucking help that he was such a dick to everyone. John Lydon was an asshole to literally everybody, but he was punk and he fit again, just fit the visuals. So they just didn't get along. And even though John was the front man, he knew Malcolm was in charge. And Steve thought, this is my band since I'm the original guy, right? I was the original front man. This is my band still. And then Malcolm is the manager. So uh, it seemed John took it as it was Malcolm and Steve against me. And I'm the front man. So there was a lot of friction between that. And so because of a lot of like shit going on and who John was, as John Lydon was as a person, they changed his name to Johnny Rotten. And it was because of his bad teeth and just who he was. Nice. Johnny Rotten just had horrible, I guess it'd be normal teeth in England. <laughs> Damn God. <laughs> <laughs> I think back in the 70s, that was very true. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a My reason awesome why. Powers. Awesome powers. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, they went, they went a little crazy on it, but so I, if you think about true, it, though, in the 70s, the English named another English Johnny Rotten because of his teeth. So his teeth must have been horrendous. Ooh. Maybe it smelled bad. I guarantee Probably. you. I guarantee you that punk rock. Maybe that's dude. what a rotten is, not necessarily his teeth, but like maybe he had halitosis. I don't know. No, he probably oh. had rotten teeth. Yeah, that's probably like rotted teeth in his mouth. <laughs> bad. I, I can only assume it was for them to name him that his must have been man, a sight to perfect, see. Perfect front man. Rotten teeth, you're in. Yeah. Get in the band. Not even give him a choice. Just you're you're the front man. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Yeah. So also, no one gave a shit about Glenn Matlock's opinion at all because he liked the Beatles too much and didn't really fit in style wise anyway with the rest of the band. Glenn was too clean cut and wasn't a thieving scoundrel like the rest of them. Like they're dirty. He's not. He wears like ties and shit. He wears like a sport jacket ties he showers and doesn't, doesn't have rotten in. teeth doesn't That's have rotten teeth that doesn't, God. that doesn't work at all what's yeah. he thinking that doesn't sound punk to me yeah. don't roll around in some mud for a while and come back right. so at this point they've quickly gained a following for their fast paced and raw sound that attracted the low end kids of london and among these kids was the 18 year old best friend to johnny rotten a guy named john simon ritchie and Richie is famously given credit for inventing pogoing at a Sex Pistols show when he jumped up and down during the entirety of a Sex Pistols set. So he was just the ultimate like fanboy of this band, up-and-coming band, because he was best friends with the, the, the lead. And he would support every show they went to, and he'd get hyphy. He'd jump up and down in the crowd, and because of that, he's credited with inventing pogoing at shows. What is that? Just What just is it? Okay, hold on. Down. Sound, yeah. Think of it. I know what pogoing is, but like, why is that like a thing? Like, you're just, aren't you just like kind of like bouncing with the music or whatever? That's yeah, called pogoing. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Like before that, people just stood there. Yeah. That's true. They, I, I just watched, watched a, what? yeah, I just watched a random documentary on uh, CCR, which isn't very punk rock of me, but everyone's <laughs> just yeah. sitting there. They're just like, they're just sitting there watching yeah. this band go hate shit. And it's like, like, oh, yes. Well done. Yes. Nice. Yeah. They're like, Wait, people literally yeah. just stood there like before this was invented or invented. I say like someone who actually just has rhythm and just started to move with the music. That was. Well, it's more happened. specifically jumping straight up and down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific thing. You'll see it and be like, that's yep. That's, that's pogoing. It. That makes sense. The only way to yeah. describe what's happening right now is that guy is pogoing. That's once you see it. You know, it's crazy. Like all these, they had like the subset in, in that area for like punk rock and the sex pistols, like kind of like the forefront of it. I don't like the sex pistols. I don't think they're very good. I think they're awful. I never, never cared at all about them. Although I know bands that I listen to are, yeah, exactly. Bands I listen to are about them, but uh, even like, yeah, later on, right when they broke up, um, John Lydon, Johnny Rotten changed immediately changed his name back to John Lydon, and he started another band called Pump Public Image Limited. And they, if you listen to them, they're like it came out in like '79, and they are what the '80s sound like, and it's they are insanely influential for like a whole decade. Like they are important people. I just don't like them. Their their yeah. music specifically. 
Yeah. But now that we have the basics of the start of the band, we can fast forward to February of 1977 when suddenly the band kick out Glenn Matlock. Hmm. I wonder why they kicked him out of all people. Yeah. But you know, one of the reasons that Johnny Rotten gave was he washed his feet too much. What? Yeah, he washed his feet too much. That was the reason that he gave of why they kicked out Glenn Matlock. Because Dang. he was fucking clean? I wonder if Punk he rock. was just... Someone asked him that question on the fly and he was like, wash his teeth or wash, wash his teeth. Brush his teeth. <laughs> I got teeth on my mind after that last whole segment. Uh, washed his feet too much. Like, I wonder if he was just fucking with them. He and that's been. just a quote throughout history now. Yeah. Even, even now I've watched interviews of John Lydon talking to like BBC reporters and almost everything he says is pure sarcasm. Everything that comes out of his mouth is like he never gives a straight answer. Fucking with everyone. <laughs> everyone, man. He he's yeah. all about that shit. Just never like, yeah. I can imagine him being like, yeah. He just washed his feet too much, and then right. just like stuck with it forever. Just straight <laughs> face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He washed his feet too much. Yeah, but you know, we we all know that he got kicked out because he was he didn't fit the Sex Pistols. He didn't embody the Sex Pistols, and it. it if you think about it. Well, I'm about to get into it, but like they were the sex was were a walking advertisement for Malcolm's shop called Sex. And and that's because they were at the forefront of the iconic imagery. Like when we think of punks and what they look like, we think of sex pistols, and that was created by Sex, the shop. And actually, an employee and model for sex named Pamela Cook, better known as Jordan Mooney, is said to be the archetype of the punk style. She's got the mohawk. She's she's got like a choker on. Like she's got like a, I think she has a, the famous, she has like a Bowie shirt in her famous picture. But what we think of punk and the punk kid, it's because of sex. They created that image. That's pretty yeah. wild. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Just completely formatted to sell shit. Dude, that's it. That's all it and is. And here I am. I'm 34 and I have a mohawk right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go. Time well, I, mean, I mean i if i have a beard and like a poof in the front and stuff and, and i have gauges i fit the metal core scene <laughs> perfectly like i have tattoos all over my arms like that's amazing it's just a different you look different you look scene. great oh you thanks great. man yeah. Thank you. Aw, uh, you're so cute. Aw. <laughs> and then just like Will style, if you were like to think of like police chic, you have <laughs> bald head and a mustache and bald head and a mustache. And that uh is Black that a blue white shirt or Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see that. Blue eyes matter right here. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, Will. This is Zero Fox Shot shirt. Shout out Zero Fox Shot. Sponsor him already for the love Come of on, God. Come on. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, he got kicked out and they wasted no time and brought in a young, handsome 20 year old John Simon Ritchie, who we all know as Sid Vicious. Fun fact he was given that name because Johnny Rotten had a pet hamster named Sid who was vicious. And that's how he got his name. That's pretty deep, though. You know, that's, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> yeah. I think they should go back to the drawing board on that reason. Like, think yeah. of something better. Nah, hamsters are bitches. punk rock. How hamsters are the Very, most punk clearly. rock. Clearly. <laughs> actually, I think guinea pigs would probably be more punk rock. Why? Because they have, go up your ass? No, because they have, like, <laughs> natural mohawks. Oh, yeah. Uh, they got that crazy hair. 
Yeah. yeah. I think in class one time, in one of our classes, Octavio, uh, yeah, yeah. someone was doing a show and tell with a guinea pig yeah. and they sneezed. Do you remember this? They sneezed no. and accidentally squeezed the guinea pig and the eyes popped out. <laughs> <laughs> I swear we had to have been in the what same the class. <laughs> I imagine we were, but I must have blocked this out because no. That's early what? childhood trauma. Yeah. yeah. Not what I thought you were going to say. Holy yeah, just, shit. <laughs> sneeze and a guinea pig came out their ass. <laughs> that's, that's where I thought it was going. <laughs> last last time we recorded this, last time we recorded this, I was uh, thinking about that and I was like, I should have said it. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is the story that needs to be told right now. <laughs> so if you're so, that person who squeezed their eyeballs uh, out of their guinea pig, please message please us. Please contact us. <laughs> please. <laughs> Please let us know that was you. I don't remember who it was. How many people did you guys go to school with to not know who that was? Menifee is a small town. We probably know. We probably still know this person. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you guys not remember that? Like, Octavio, that's a huge deal. Dude, I... I <laughs> he was trauma since age six. <laughs> he didn't even so drink until he was out of high school. Well, no, because I've known... The heads, dude, because I've been in your class since, what, sec, third grade? Yeah. Yeah, so. man. So... Yeah, dude. I, geez, clearly okay. he forgot it. He's not, yeah. not going to sleep tonight. He's going to be thinking about that. Like, <laughs> why don't I remember that? I'll do some more research and uh, I'll get back to you on. I'll ask. I'll ask around. Dude, the only thing I remember from that time is you had a birthday party that you invited me to, and my parents couldn't find your house, so I just didn't go. <laughs> uh, yeah. When we were friends with that, well, that that kid, remember that kid that we were both friends with? Uh. Mitchell. It was me, you, and Mitchell. Fucking Mitchell. Uh, yeah. Was, and you invited me. Like, you got to come. And I was like, yeah, I'll be there. And uh, my parents are Mexican as fuck. So they didn't know how to get to your house. And uh, I was I was heartbroken. Well, I've been wondering uh, about that for, yeah, yeah, for, for 25 years. So. <laughs> Why didn't you show up to my birthday party? You could have given you they directions, just, man. They just didn't find your house, man. We drove around. And I was just like, no, you, you got to find Were me. Were you just expecting me. him to be outside? Hi. <laughs> Yeah. I don't, dude, right I don't even know if we're close. To be honest, with you. I don't know if we're in the right section at all. The, the balloons. Well, back then, yeah, back then balloons, using you know? uh, using MapQuest, <laughs> that was a struggle. We're all Man. driving around like pirates. Anyways, the craziest part to me, and the thing that really drives home, that just like Kiss and NSYNC, the Sex Pistols were a calculated walking advertisement because Sid Vicious did not know how to play the bass at all i mean when it was time to record the sex pistols first album in late 1977 never mind the bollocks here are the sex pistols they didn't even let sid in the recording studio it's actually rumored that they had glenn matlock come back and record tracks but probably in reality it was mainly steve steve jones who laid down the bass track but still can you imagine me like a hired hand like hey you want to come play bass on this record well, i know we just fired you but you know could you could you come play bass right. And you still say yeah, though. Also, yeah, exactly. you're like actually, actually, yeah. He's just well, we talk about him an awful lot, so it worked. Whatever he was trying to do, he's yeah, probably still in love with the band. You know, when you have a terrible breakup and you you still love them. Well, I don't know. Right. Immediately, immediately after the breakup, he was like kind of like whatever's because he just the next day he was in a different band. Like it was just like well, on to the next thing. But for the yeah, record, you get, that, you get that late night text like, hey, you up? <laughs> you up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
or just a random uh, like emoji of like I don't know, sad <laughs> uh, face. Yeah. No, yeah. I was thinking of that eggplant. purple eggplant. Yeah. Yeah, I was going eggplant too. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eggplant. or egg, a peach. Egg, even. Eggplant peach. Next week, <laughs> yeah. yeah, with the three droplets. Um, yeah. But even like what I was saying is even to this day, I think after everything that they went through, if you ask the original members, they're like, we shouldn't have kicked Glenn out. We just shouldn't have. That that was a mistake. Oh, the yeah. one guy that knows how to play an instrument? The one guy who's actually talented. Yeah, probably yeah. should have kept him. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to yeah. be around him, but we need him to record everything for us. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it have just yes. been better to change his image since he knew shit? I think That's he, true. Yeah. They probably tried. They probably tried. Well, good just, for him. Yeah. He, he stuck his ground, man. But uh, Sid did have the look, and he was a really good-looking dude who knew how to put on a show and entertain a crowd. Plus, Sid was Johnny Rotten's best friend, so now it was Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious versus Steve and Paul. Instead of just John Lydon taking them all on, all on by himself, he now had an ally. And it was at Sid's first show with the Sex Pistols that a 19-year-old Nancy Spungen first laid eyes on Sid Vicious, changing both of their lives forever. So now we get into who these people are as individuals. We cover the Sex Pistols and all, the, all of that, so you get a basic understanding of why this person is important at all. So now we're going to talk about them as people. So Sid Vicious was born John Simon Ritchie on Friday, May 10th, 1957 in Lewisham to parents John and Anne. That didn't last long because John abandoned his family pretty much immediately. After that, when John was young, Anne was heavy into speed and pills and all kinds of shit. She was constantly leaving John places so she could go shoot up and party. It's been said that Anne actually gave John his first hit of heroin. This is his mom. What the fuck? Yeah. So John was part of a very small group, maybe 20 people or so, who were original London punks. And with them, he would party and people would offer him pills. He would take them and swallow them. And then he would ask, oh, what were those, by the way? So, you know, just like to party. That's not like, like, a hand or two, but it's always been like, all right, one of them's a sugar pill and the other is Viagra. He, never, he's like, ready he to party play, either way. Yeah, you never played that? No, okay. not Viagra, but yeah, I've played that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So aside from just being ready to party and willing to do whatever, he also was a dealer himself. He, he dealt speed and other kinds of drugs popular in the scene, scene at the time. So now we move on to Nancy Laura Spungen. She was a Jewish girl born in Philadelphia on February 27th, 1958. And from the very beginning, Nancy was an extremely troubled girl and would constantly throw tantrums. She would scream. She would just go crazy. And when she was a toddler, her mother took her to a doctor and the fucking doctor prescribed phenobarbital to a toddler. And obviously nice. that's crazy. It's crazy on so many levels, right? Because it seemed like it was one of those things where like doctors, she, like uh, her mom named Deborah. She's like, hey, my daughter's really sick. And the doctor's like, oh man, that's crazy. She's fucked in the head. She should probably do coke about it. That's what it felt like. It's just like, yeah, you're right. She should probably do coke about it. Yeah, drugs will fix this. Let's get her but, hooked early. Yeah, but actually, let's hear from Nancy's mom, Deborah. Uh, she did an interview in 1983, and she talked with her doctor. Oh, she talked about a lot of things, and this is the part where she talked about the experience with the doctors themselves. 
the first time we took her to a psychiatric clinic was at the age of three and a half. We had mentioned to pediatricians before that that we felt there was a problem. They said, love her, channel her, guide her. She'll outgrow it. She's just very bright. When we took her to the first clinic, at the end of six months, they discharged us and said, if you have further problems, bring her back. We really got no useful advice, nor did we ever get a diagnosis nor a prognosis. I'd say that the cry in the first 10 or 12 years was always that, love her, channel her. I couldn't imagine what they thought we had been doing. And the rest of her life, when we took her to a doctor or had her committed to a hospital, they would say, you might as well take her home. She's much too sick. You've waited too long. don't know any mother that wouldn't feel angry. I think that the doctors were dishonest with us. It's only in the last two years when I had some of her medical reports or psychiatric reports released to us did I really find out that a number of doctors thought that she was quite ill mentally, that she was possibly a childhood schizophrenic, and there was also a possi possibility of a brain tumor, and that a neurological examination was indicated by doctors, but none of this information was ever relayed to us. Also, it was a situation which is not much different today, the situation of here's a child who's very ill and probably will end either in a mental institution, in jail, or dead. And the doctors perhaps were frustrated by the fact that they could not offer us any concrete advice. I asked one doctor, at her, she was about 11 at the time, what should we do? And he looked at me and he said, darned if I know. So I think they were frustrated because they had no doctor to refer us to. They had no hospital to refer us to and no hope. Yeah, so that's straight from her. I mean, they struggled with this her entire life. Okay, so I just have to say something. I don't really think that they would have, like, had the research back then because, you know, it wasn't really, I don't know, they just threw shit down people's throats and didn't really research it, I guess. But um, this is a very common treatment for seizures, whether they're febrile seizures or due to some sort of form of epilepsy. But the fact that they cause everything that her mom sent her to the doctor for is insane to me. They're treating it with what causes it. Her issues that she had when she went to the doctor were caused by what they gave her. That's like, one of the side effects of that drug? Yes. Dang. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that goes to what you were saying before. They probably don't know this at this time. They don't, but I mean, like, it's... Because if she was three and a like half, a, just 1962... So they don't know shit at this point. And like she said, at 11, they were like, fuck it. Uh, at this point, we're just going to send you to a boarding school in Connecticut. So, I mean, even her to say about 11, they were just like, well, it's too late now. It is what it is. Again, long-term treatment causes like severe emotional and behavioral issues. Like it can cause dementia. It causes severe ADD, ADHD, AD, ODD symptoms. Um, if there's already underlying emotional and behavioral issues, it you know obviously is going to make them worse. But I was waiting for her to possibly say something seizure related, but she didn't. So I, was I don't like, remember her ever mentioning her that? seizures. She just had like screaming fits. She was very controlling. She was very like I guess she would possibly be on the spectrum these days. I think, but yeah, uh, yeah. 
but luckily the school they sent her to in Connecticut, it was a uh, school that specialized in dealing with kids with deep emotional issues because obviously a public school could not handle her if her parents couldn't. So then at age 15, she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. And it's just a shame because, yeah, Nancy had her issues. She's She was crazy, but she was also crazy smart. And she actually claimed to have an IQ of 172, which probably isn't true. But from what I've read, it's probably closer to 130s. Um, but yeah, she was actually incredibly intelligent. She, was, she wasn't a dumb person. She just had issues. Yeah. So as part of her emotional issues, she is what the kids call today a pick-me girl. And she wanted so badly to be famous. And she would hang around with guys from like Aerosmith. She knew the guys in the New York Dolls and is what we would call a groupie. And she basically just had sex with everybody because what she really wanted was a famous boyfriend. Hmm. Understandable. (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. Just looking for that one famous man to come to my life. <laughs> Soon enough, it'll happen. <laughs> Chin up. Fingers crossed. Mouth open. <laughs> it will come. <laughs> Ooh, that was like a triple layer joke right there. Yeah. Yeah, that was that? solid. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so when Sylvain Sylvain, who is part of the New York Dolls, was on his way to New York, Nancy got in the van with them and moved to New York with them. The band says she was a really cool person, and basically when they got to New York, she found a little apartment with a roommate near Max's Kansas City, and after a show, the band would stop by. She would give them drugs and sex and money, so of course they kept her around. Um, Nancy had a ton of money at the time because she worked as a stripper and sex worker, go-go dancer and dominatrix, and it really was with the business uh, businessmen who loved to be dominated that she made a ton of money. I mean, she was making $200 a night, which in today's money is over $1,000 in one single night. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's it, not what Nancy wanted to yeah. do, though. She didn't want to make $1,000 a night doing sex work. It's just what paid for her lifestyle. And because of her lifestyles, even though she made a thousand dollars a night, she was always broke. Drugs are expensive. Drugs are yeah. New York is expensive. You know, going to shows and drinking the bar is expensive. But that's that's her lifestyle. That's who she was at the time. And as you can imagine, this this didn't help who she was as a person. She had a, even more emotional issues uh, as uh, you know a young adult. But so. Nancy was well known as not only a groupie, but a junkie too, obviously, and people could not stand her. The press even dubbed her as nauseating Nancy. She was just an absolute menace to be around. Very in your face, loud, desperate to get with somebody famous. Like She was obnoxious, to say the least. So she was always in a depressive state, her, and her roommates remember her attempting suicide at least twice. And on one occasion when they were at Max's, Nancy said, I'm going upstairs to slit my wrists. So the roommate followed her and Nancy actually slit her wrists. It seems like she had wanted to end her life because nobody liked her. And her roommate was like, well, yeah, nobody likes you. You're a junkie and a groupie. Like, get it together. Like, there's a reason. It's not just because people are dicks. You give them reasons. And because of this, she had a talk with some friends in February of 1977 And they decided that Nancy needed to get away from the New York scene because it was nothing but heroin 
and other bad decisions. And luckily for her, by this time, the New York Dolls had long been broken up and the Heartbreakers had formed. And in December of 1976, they had landed in London. So she called up Jerry Nolan. Uh, I think he's the guitarist for the Heartbreakers. And said she would get, yeah, she would get his guitar from the pawn shop if he would let her stay with them for a few days in London because according to her, her friend anyway, according to Nancy's friend, she was heading to London not for the Heartbreakers, but she was determined to meet the Sex Pistols and in the meantime, she needed somewhere to stay. I'm still shocked about her friend following her upstairs to watch her kill herself. I think she didn't expect her to. I think she's like, yeah, you know, you follow someone into an argument or whatever We've all been there. You follow someone after they say something stupid just to make sure they don't do it. And then this time she actually did it. Yeah, so. She was just that gnarly that yeah. was like, no, I'm doing this. You can follow me, but I don't you care. You want to watch? <laughs> yeah. Right. Actually, yeah. I'd like it even more. Yeah. Probably. Sure. Let me see that. I kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. shit. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I- <laughs> yeah. That's it. Wow. Just, oh, oh, fuck. Oh, oh my gosh. God. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was not ready for this tonight. Yeah, I wasn't gonna spend my night like this at all. Oh. Yeah. Oh, what a rough. What a what a buzzkill. Oh, ambulance. God damn it, Nancy. <laughs> Thanks, Nancy. When she got into town, which is London, in late February 1977, um, I think it was right around her birthday. She ran into the Heartbreakers manager, and she said, "Hi, I'm in London. Where's Jerry?" The manager, who already knew all about Nancy Spongeon, said, Oi, how did you get here? Oh, Freddie Laker, I got it real cheap. I'll take that out with Freddie Laker later, but you need to leave. Go back to New York. No, I want to see Jerry. I came over to see Jerry. Nothing. Nothing will ever let me let you see Jerry. I will hide him or lock him in a closet and I'll bury him alive. I'll do anything to keep you away from Jerry Nolan. Oh, you're so mean. Very good. Your yeah. face while you're reading. Awesome. Hey, I talk like a Brit. Oi. Chan- channel that, Alfred. Oh, my God. It was awful. I mean, no, it was good, but it was like funny in your face. I was trying not to bust out laughing. So... Nancy went on her way, and that's when she made it to Sid's first show with the Sex Pistols. As much as she thought Sid was a good-looking guy, he was not her first choice. She got with Steve Jones, who famously can't keep his cock in his pants, and it was a normal thing to fuck anybody and everybody, including all his mate's girlfriends. Then after Steve, she tried to fuck Johnny Rotten, but I'm not sure if she ever managed that. So finally, she landed on Sid, who I before Nancy Sid was actually like a nice guy and probably a virgin, honestly. Like I think Nancy was his first, so I think no way. I think he. I think we could actually describe this whole situation as a level ten clinger. I think stage that could 10? be an ac- stage stage ten stage ten clinger or stage five. However, you know we take we take it up no, to level right top. Here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's All the way levels. Top. Levels and then stages. It's, yeah, it's so, a <laughs> she's, a, she's a level it's 10, a, stage 10, which is max. Yeah, but we, we actually turned it up to 11. So oh, level 11, serious. stage 10. Would that be accurate? 
pretty accurate. I'll, I'll allow it. Okay. Yeah. But like, so Sid Vicious was sort of like a joke name because he was so nice. Uh, it's so the way I describe it is, uh, is it like misnomer? Is that what it is? Like, so when you call a Mexican, like uh, a dark skinned guy, huero, which means white guy, you know, that kind of thing. Or you call like a blonde white guy, negro, like that's just kind of a thing. It's the opposite is what I'm saying. But anyways, Sid was very naive when it came to a lot of things. And in all probability, like I said, he was a virgin when he met Nancy. And it seemed that once he had been given the name Sid Vicious, he at the time that time felt like he had to live up to that name. And that's how all his stage antics came into play. Because if they're going to name him Sid Vicious, he's going to act like a Sid Vicious. Damn. But once Nancy got her claws in, Sid, they were inseparable. And Sid really seemed to love Nancy. He always wanted to be with her, but when the Heartbreaker showed up in London, they brought their New York ways with them, and they are actually credited with bringing heroin to the London punk scene. And Nancy was no different, which meant that once they got together, Sid really got into heroin. And in all fairness, he would probably have given into the heroin scene that took over anyway, but Nancy made the drug like a daily thing and really, really expedited his drug-filled downfall. Yeah, it was the fuel to the fire. Yeah, because he, I mean, he took drugs no matter what, and he probably would have done it on his own, but Nancy was like, hey, do this every day. So, yeah, she was definitely like a fuel to the fire. But aside from heavy drug use, they were super into each other, and Sid actually wrote out a list of reasons why he loves Nancy. What makes Nancy so great? By Sydney. Beautiful. Number two, sexy. Number three, beautiful figure. Number four, great sense of humor. Number five, makes extremely interesting conversation. Number six, witty. Number seven, has beautiful eyes. Eight, has fabulous taste and clothes. Number nine, has the most beautiful wet pussy in the world. Number 10, even has sexy feet. Number 11, is extremely smart. Number 12, great hustler. What I got to give it to him. I got to give it to him for not putting that first. <laughs> number number 1. Got that whack. Yeah. Right. It's like he kept getting like more fucked up or more high as the list went yeah. on. Yeah. He just got a little more out of his mind as it was yeah. going. Yeah, and he wrote this in in a 2-day like, time span. Yeah. Yeah. And he rounds it off with, oh, she's smart and she's a great hustler. She's a hard yeah. You know what? She is smart, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great pussy, but man, she's smart. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I can't I can't start with wet pussy. I can't end with wet pussy. I can't end with that, yeah. I'll just shoehorn it like, in the middle. It's like writing a set list. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes in, you know what? The sexy feet. Like out of nowhere too, like one thing to like adore like her pussy or whatever the way he puts it, but then her feet, like yeah. I, I, I don't he must have a foot fetish. I'm, I mean, yeah, uh, or just know, that one caught me off guard. Like sexy yeah. feet doesn't necessarily need to be a fetish, but he could just yeah, nobody wants ugly feet. Uh, he understands good looking feet. I don't know. And was who's this? Who's supposed to read this list? Is it just it was in like Nancy a diary or? of his? Oh, yeah, just Nancy. Oh, okay. It was just oh. for, yeah, for him to recap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He gave that to her every every day. So they, they found why it. Do I, why do I love Nancy? Here we go. <laughs> He's too high to remember, so he needs the list. 
number nine is in bold underlined. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as much as Sid loved Nancy, the rest of the band really fucking hated her. The easiest way to describe it is that Nancy was a Yoko Ono of the Sex Pistols. Emily, are we good? Mm-mm. Who's that? Okay, you guys go ahead. Yoko Ono? No. Is that the one who sings terribly and sounds like a? <clears throat> is it a dying cat? I guess uh, that'd be a fair description. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably the same person for sure. Okay. She's credited um, with destroying the Beatles, but do you it's know not a true. man named John Lennon? Wait, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know the Beatles, right? Yeah. Okay. My bad. Inching right. closer. No, I was thinking he was saying you said Beatles, then he said John, Lennon, and I was like, is that a different John Lennon or there two? Yeah. Yeah, so essentially Yoko Ono is John Lennon's wife, and she's always described oh, yeah. as the woman who destroyed the Beatles. But really, they were destroying themselves, honestly. They they were done with each other. Yeah. They were I over. That was. You set me up. <laughs> yeah. So Nancy was so whiny and annoying, but the problem was more that Sid Vicious was a completely different person after he met Nancy with all the heavy drug use and wanting to, her to be part of the sex pistols in general, things got so bad that Malcolm McLaren and Rody, a guy named Rody, that's his name, his nickname anyway, is Rody, tried to kidnap Nancy and put her on a one-way flight back to New York. But during the kidnapping, because it was a kidnapping, Nancy was screaming and she actually escaped back into the hotel still screaming that this was a kidnapping and they caught the attention of a policeman that was walking by and the cop looked over while she's screaming and them chasing her and they're like no 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 this isesn't a kidnapping no no what are you talking about no this is a kidnapping she's fine she's she's crazy um but yeah needless to say it didn't work and honestly Sid had no idea this was going on they were doing this completely behind his back because everyone was fucking over it. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. He probably would have said no too. He probably absolutely would have caused a whole fucking thing with about it. Like he was, he had, he was her ride or die for sure. Like they really were into each other for real, but they were just so toxic. That it just overshadowed their love, I guess. So at about this time, the Sex Pistols had infamously had their TV interview with Bill Grundy, where they cussed on live TV, and as a result, they were dubbed the Filth and the Fury by the local newspapers, which led to them being banned in London. But this did give Malcolm the idea to go on tour in Holland, because they weren't banned there. And with all this free press they were getting from the Bill Grundy show, they were like, we got to take advantage. So we're going on tour in Holland. So they were trying to advance the band, but really almost more than anything, it was to keep Nancy away from Sid, at least for a little while, since girlfriends were not allowed on the tour. You know, but as two weeks away, however long they were gone on tour, they have to come back. And when they came back, they were back on their bullshit immediately. Didn't skip a beat. Just immediately back to being Sid and Nancy. Yeah. So as you can imagine, by the end of 1977, things with the Sex Pistols were at an all-time low with Sid's heroin addiction, Johnny Rotten's increasingly shitty behavior. Um, since at, actually he, at this point he was jealous of Sid and his onstage antics getting more and more attention and more attention than Rotten himself. Uh, plus, Rotten was more at war with Malcolm. Like He just kept escalating things with everybody. Like I said, he fucking hated everybody. 
And with, along with that, he hated the direction the band was going more than ever. And so on their first, this led to when they went on their first U.S. tour in late January 1978. Uh, and also to make matters worse, Malcolm had booked them for a Southeast tour, also known as a Deep South. You know, instead of hitting fucking Northeast in places like New York, D.C., Chicago, you know, places that would actually have enjoyed having the Sex Pistols in their hometown and not places like fucking Baton Rouge, <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> now, what in the Sam hell is this fucking bullshit? <laughs> the fuck am I listening to? Yeah. What the hell is a Sex Pistol? <laughs> there we went to places where just like looking at the Sex Pistols pissed them off. <laughs> Just the side yeah. of them. It's punk yeah. rock, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Did it, it on was... purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. The most punk thing you can do is go to places yeah. where you're not wanted. Yep. Yeah. They probably fucked it up for us, and that's when no one will come here now. Oh, probably. <laughs> God, yeah, no one comes here, dude. They go to what, Houston, go Pensacola, up to Atlanta, New Orleans, then go down to, sometimes they don't go to Pensacola. They just go down to Florida somewhere. They completely skipped south where, where we live anyway. Damn, so you're driving a couple hours to get anywhere. So we've been to a show in a couple of New Orleans, um, Pensacola. New Orleans, Pensacola. So that's like an hour, hour and a half away. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So and we've it, been to Hattiesburg and we saw the Coffin Cats 15 minutes away one time. That's cool. At this tiny, like the size of my house venue, like tiny, tiny venue. It was awesome. Was, and he still yeah, stood on his base and everything. Yeah, it was fun. Sweet. He still stood on his base and everything. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it really was cool. Uh, but yeah, it's just, why go to these places, man? Like they had, I think they stopped off at the end in Sacramento or San Francisco, California. But man, I don't know what Malcolm was thinking booking the tour in the South. It just didn't make sense. I mean, seriously, like Atlanta was one of the places. I think that one actually went pretty well. But the rest of them, it's like, I don't get it. And no one else does either. They were doomed from the start. So, of course, while they were in the U.S., no girlfriends were allowed, which really just meant no Nancy was allowed because they were still trying to keep them away from each other. And aside from killing Nancy, Malcolm didn't know what to do. So he hoped a few weeks apart was a good thing. And if you're not familiar at all with the Sex Pistols, they came to an abrupt end on the last date of the tour, January 4th, 1974, 14th, 1978, at the Winterland Ballroom. The Sex Pistols played a cover of the Stooges song, No Fun, where Johnny Rotten emphasized the no fun part of the song, and his last words on stage were, Ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. And with that, the Sex Pistols all went their separate ways. Wow. That's uh, one way to do it, I guess. Yeah. That's... A little melodramatic, but... <laughs> yeah. A little passive-aggressive. But after the split, Sid was on his way back to New York when he decided to overdose on the plane. Uh, he had to be rushed to the hospital when he landed in New York. He wasn't there very long, though, and was soon back in Europe. Now that Johnny Rotten wasn't around and the sex pistols were broken up, Sid found himself as the lead man and singer. Uh, and I'll, I'll, Actually, there's conflicting information here it's said that it, they continued the sex pistols with sid as the lead and then it's also said that he just kind of did his own thing but so i'm not sure which is accurate because I've, I've read both it's really hard to say because like i said at this time they were making a movie uh um 
what's his name? Steve and Paul were making a movie in Brazil and they had gotten into drugs real heavy. And there's an argument with money, the band not getting paid what they were supposed to. And the money was actually being used for this movie that that Malcolm was making. So there's this whole to do about everything. So it's really hard to know whether they, he was a front man of the sex pistols or if they had just completely disbanded and Sid was just doing the fronting for something else completely. Uh, if you know, let me know because I couldn't find for sure. So anyways, um, during this time, the only thing I, I could find that Sid did for sure was in a recording studio in Paris where he did an absolutely God awful cover of my way by Frank Sinatra. But you know, they recorded it. They still try to make it work because they knew Sid had staying power and he was punk rock as fuck. So uh, Malcolm especially was dead set on trying to get Nancy away from Sid at this time. So he could be the front man he needed. He needed a non-drugged up lead man that could actually be counted on. So Malcolm sat down the Heartbreakers manager one day and said, Listen, you know, Nancy, what can I do to get rid of her? Well, I can give her money. I can give her a lot of money. I can give her drugs. Hey, she gets a lot of money, you know, from being a prostitute. She gets a lot of drugs from being a prostitute. She doesn't need any of that. What she wants is what she's got, to be hanging out with Sid. Well, what can I do? How can I get rid of her? Kill her. <laughs> Kill her. It's the only way to get rid of Nancy. Kill her. That was an actual conversation between managers. It sounded exactly like that. No, that, that was actually a recording. We, yeah, that was. He yeah, didn't know. Play, we just played that. <laughs> <laughs> what? It was obviously an English manager, a British manager, but you get it. Yeah. So finally, after like six months of being back in the UK, they decided that they needed to go to where the punk scene was really thriving. And that was obviously New York City. So on August 23rd, 1978, Sid and Nancy arrived in New York City to try and keep Sid's fame from being a sex pistol alive. When they arrived, they checked into a famous hotel called Hotel Chelsea. And they checked into the second floor. That is until they lit their mattress on fire after a show. Then they moved to room 100 on the first floor. Doesn't make any sense. Get them out of the fucking hotel. No, no, no. This is Hotel Chelsea. Famous people live and work here. You do whatever the fuck you want in Hotel Chelsea. There's no rules, literally. They lit a mattress on fire and all they do is, okay, go to the different room. Uh, it, it's a flop house, essentially. It's it's an artist den, uh, meth crack house. It's everything you need it to be and nothing you don't. It sounds amazing. Yeah, I wonder yeah. where those exist still. There's probably still... There definitely is. Cecil Hotel. Places they just... <laughs> <don't>. <laughs> We have a lot of crack uh, hotels here. Nice. Yeah, I guess now that I think about it, if it's just like a dingy crack hotel, mm-hmm. there's a lot right off the freeway. But yeah, I mean, also like famously, you, like oh, for like famous people, <clears throat> you know? Uh, like I, I don't wonder. know. The Hotel Chelsea might still be that. I think oh. that they're also like less wanting skeezy hotels and they do their like drug deals outside the hotels, but they just do their drugs in the hotels. And they don't yeah, light shit uh, on fire anymore because they have to get... <laughs> There's codes now. Yeah. <laughs> like they have fire codes. Uh, I think True. they're rich enough to just have people meet them in the lobby with drugs. Also, if you yeah. just do crack at a hotel, it's now a crack hotel. 
whatever hotel that is. They're probably just doing it fucking home, okay? (laughs) If they have kids, they just send the kids to a nanny. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, so we were just talking about uh, Hotel Chelsea is well known for being a flop house. Uh, It constantly had famous people staying there. Uh, Bob Dylan was the only one I remember. Uh, I think Bob Dylan. Uh, I think thing with the Chelsea Hotel. Oh my God. The, the, time for, the times they are a changing. Um, who else? Uh, Patty I Smith, I want to say. Patty Smith stayed there. A bunch of artists that I wish I had written them down because I had time to write them down. I just didn't. <laughs> I, I've had a long time to do this. Now who's Patty uh, Smith? Yes. Who? Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Fully just, know either. Just still, still don't know. Didn't look into yep. it. Yeah, we yep, had this conversation a, last time. There's this lady, uh, Patty Smith. She stayed there. Yeah. She did stuff. She she did stuff. She was a person that stayed there. I know. She collaborated. Yeah. yeah, collaborated. Collaborated. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> collaborated <laughs> with Bob Dylan. That's yes. all I know. Probably at the Chelsea Hotel. So the Chelsea Hotel was a, a place where you would pay for a room, obviously, and then you can do whatever you wanted in and to that room. If you didn't want a bed in there and just need a room to paint, then just move the bed into the hallway. It's fine. You could paint all over the walls or you could just turn your room into a squalor pit like Sid and Nancy did. You could do this was a place to be creative without boundaries at all. And a lot of people use this because of that. So Sid and Nancy, they basically turned their room into a heroin den of sadness and abuse. I haven't really been touching on it because I honestly just assumed it was a given, but the entire relationship, they were very abusive to each other, both mentally and physically, because Sid definitely laid hands on Nancy and Nancy would say and do fucked up shit. They both self-harmed and they even had a suicide pact that was supposed to happen well before Nancy's 21st birthday. What happened with that? That, dun, I think dun, that's dun, what this whole episode's about. <laughs> <laughs> but it was supposed to happen well before her 21st birthday. Oh, she was... Uh, Sid was 21. She was 20 at the time of death. That's wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, too, as we're, as we're going through this, Sex Pistols were then only together for two years? Is that... Uh, 75 to 78. Oh, okay. Yeah, two and a half, so, two and a half yeah. years. Wild. Mm-hmm. And they, they only had that one album. They got back together. They did have a reunion. Um, but the original punk rock in the 70s was just 75 to about 78. So, yeah, two and a half years and done. Flamed out. Well, there were a ton of people, famous people who stayed there. Well, do you have a list? Yeah, Iggy Pop, um, Bob Dylan, oh, Jim yeah. Morrison, um, Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd. Dang. Um, Rufus Wainwright, Lance Loud, Richard Barone. I don't know the last three people that you said. <laughs> Grateful Dead. Um, Alice cool. Cooper. So it was total party hotel. Total, like, dude, that oh, place yeah. was that's the mayhem. spot. Yeah, that place was uh, like Sid, Sid and Nancy had like an open door policy, like to their room. Like you walk in by room one hundred, feel free to walk in, especially if you're you know one of these famous people. Uh, and everyone, I mean, fucking, uh, he had beef with, um, Freddie Mercury. Like he said, vicious new fucking everyone. He's, oh, he's yeah. a friendly dude. What's, what's uh, that quote? He called him, uh, uh, Sid Fred furious or something. Yeah. <laughs> Sid, Sid, he called him Sid something else, but yeah, they had, he had, I don't know if it was beef. It was just kind of like, 
banter, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Sid was really, he was a friendly guy. He really was. People remember him as this just cool dude, um, kind of quiet, reserved, and genuine. But on when it comes to Sid and Nancy, though, he was this whole different person. But either way, Nancy at this point thought she was Sid's manager and started acting like it. She went around trying to book Sid's shows, which was actually pretty easy because he's Sid Vicious. So on September 9th, 1978, Sid plays Max's Kansas City for the first and only time. Uh, so we all know CBGBs. Well, Chris, you know CBGBs, right? As this monumental yes. punk rock mainstay, right? Um, what we talked... So Max's Kansas City is another venue in New York, which actually I think if you put them apples like put them next to each other, Max's is way more influential and more important to the scene than CBGB's ever was. And we don't talk; no one talks about Max's Kansas City. We you always see people wearing that CBGB shirt or whatever, but I didn't know about Max's until I looked into the story. Um, Wild, yeah, it was just yeah. more marketable or I guess, easier yeah. to get out there. Hmm. Could be, but uh, if you like, if you really wanted to like look into the histories max's is incredibly important i have the but, freddie mercury thing what is it you want to hear it real What's quick it's pretty funny yeah yeah let's hear it <clears throat> so sid stumbles into a room with freddie mercury and uh is that the beginning of a joke yeah sid stumbles into a room with freddie <laughs> yeah, mercury, freddie mercury. <laughs> he looks at him and says tell me if you heard this one before <laughs> um i guess he was all like he was fucked up and he's like have you succeeded oh. in bringing ballet to the masses yet which pissed off Freddie Mercury and he got up and walked out and said, Hey, aren't you Stanley ferocious or something? <laughs> and then, and nice. then Sid got all pissed off. Stanley yeah. ferocious. <laughs> I bet you if he could, Sid would have broke a bottle over his head. That's his go-to. I just I can imagine Freddie Mercury saying that in a little, in a Freddie Mercury way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Yeah, so back at Max's Kansas City, Sid had his first and only show, and it went awfully. It was terrible. It was not good. Sid was fucking wasted the whole time, even before he got on stage. And he forgot the lyrics to every song, and he would just stop mid-song, and the band would stop playing because he's like, fucking, I'm over this song. And so that when he took a break, Nancy would come up and hand him another drink and just tell him, hey, you're doing good, Sid. Here you go. Here's another drink. And people who uh were there knew from the beginning sid was too far gone to even pretend at this point that he was a regular human on stage um it was just he was fucked up completely and he was squandering all of his whatever sid vicious uh power he had was just gone and uh at this point i think he was trying to do a little bit better um you know, at least it seems that way because he would wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and make his way down to the methadone clinic to be there by 6. So he at least was making his way downtown like he was just walking fast and taking his methadone. Um, he would he would actually tell people about the suicide pact. He would tell uh, people like, yeah, Nancy wants us to do it together. Uh, she wants us to we're not going to make it to our 21st shit like that. And then he was telling people and complaining about this, but when it came to Nancy, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it. Nancy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to do this together. Uh, but in his head, he's like, I'm not fucking killing myself. So, you know, that was fun for him. I'm sure. Plus 
in late 70s, this was a very dangerous time in New York, and it was getting harder and harder to find heroin. So he would buy two and alls, Dilaudid, literally anything at all because of his friendship with Didi Ramon, who was super into knives for some reason. Didi loved, fuck, he just loved knives. Uh, Didi always carried it like a knife, and he had this five inch switchblade with him. Um, and he convinced Sid Vicious to go to his knife dealer and buy one i don't know uh but he did uh so he after he bought the knife yeah yeah he he loved knives he had a guy uh like you had to he only he only sold to certain people like you you gotta know who to talk to you gotta know what door to knock on you know what i mean you can't just go to any old guy on the street and hey did your remote to give me a knife no he is a guy need a knife guy (laughs) (laughs) it sounds like you find like bootleg louis vuittons in the back alley or something (laughs) yeah uh so yeah so buying drugs and everything at this point was incredibly dangerous uh walking down the street he had a knife with him because of Didi, like i said and he bought a five inch switchblade too um and he carried it with everywhere he went even when he convinced one of his friends to go with him just in case he got beat up and stolen from you know either by the dealer or just some random guy on the street you never know someone's gonna fuck with you it's just what it is at the time so and it, again, Sid is. Have you ever seen pictures of him? He's like skinnier than Emily. I think like he's really small. That's saying a lot. She's like Skeletor. Oh my mm-hmm. god! Yes. Oh, I'm not trying to pile on. Sorry, I'm just trying to make yeah. a reference to the audience. Yeah. So yeah, so Sid was. He needed a bodyguard or just a friend, or he had the knife on him to try to protect himself. But he got beat up a lot still, just cruising the streets of uh, New York. But on Wednesday, October 11th, 1978, Nancy called up their neighbor, Neon Leon, and asked if they could come over. So, you know, they did. They said, yeah, sure. They they went over and had beef, burgundy, broccoli, and potatoes. They had some conversation and Sid, for some reason, had brought Neon Leon his famous leather-studded jacket. They also brought the portfolio with all kinds of memorabilia, including photos from two years earlier. Look, we used to look so good then. Look at us now. I mean, what did she expect they would look like after two years of straight heroin use? But after that, she says, Okay, we're going to go now. Rocket's Red Glare is bringing us up, is bringing us some stuff. Do you have any pot? Neon Leon says no. We don't have anything, so if you come across anything, let us know. Mm. So, yeah. I'm just yeah, back to games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What? Rockets, red glare. Uh, <laughs> this old trend, <laughs> true classic <laughs> name, uh, Mr. Red Glare, <laughs> sir, Mr. Glare. You know, uh, Mr. Bombs bursting in air. By chance? <laughs> and then we got neon, neon Leon. Neon Leon. I like it's that slit. one a lot. Yeah, that is great. And if you look, if you watch the documentary, he's uh, this cool black dude with like dreads and everything and he's just like real cool he's like yeah i'm neon leon oh, that's <laughs> it fucking fits sweet. him it fits yeah. him so well dude it's, it's great i wish man, i need a cool name i i don't it can never be as creative as rockets red glare but i need something cool <laughs> i mean octavia is pretty cool yeah i was gonna no? say your name's already like yeah you, i guess my name's chris well, that's, that's it. Just we Chris. Have like the like the plainest um, names ever. At least uh, Emily, Will, Will, Chris, Will, William. Yeah. Can we get? Oh, yeah, and, I don't know. And Octavio. You can Dates be Octavius. Davius. 
So yeah, Rocket's Red Glare, whose real name was Michael Mora, was there sometimes bodyguard, um, dealer. He was he was just a, a guy about town. Um, so when Sid went to get drugs or his methadone, uh, he had sometimes Rocket's Red Glare with him. And like I said, he was he wasn't just their dealer; he was the Chelsea's resident dealer. He was known. He was he was a guy. Like I said, he was a man about town. Um, and this guy was the kind of guy to do anything for a buck and was not above swiping money from a customer's room. If you got something of value laying around, Rockets might sweep that up. Or Mr. Glare yeah, might Mr. take that from you. Says, How does he get cold like that? Like Mr. Glare. <laughs> it's just so weird. Uh, Red Glare. Rockets is the yeah. first name. Oh, bad. <laughs> Duh. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <Notice. laughs> what are you, new? clearly all right so at this point here after their dinner with neon leon we really do not know exactly what happened there are many accounts of what happens next but what we do know is from the residents of the chelsea hotel which i probably don't have to tell you is something we can take with a grain of salt these are these people are here at the chelsea hotel so you want to believe them that's on you but uh, before we get into what's about to happen, let's hear from Deborah Spungen again. Nancy had called me on the Sunday before she died in October, just a little over five years ago. She was in New York by then with Sid. It was after the famous visit at our house. She seemed quite different. I know she was on methadone. What else she was taking, uh, I don't know, but I'm sure she was taking other types of drugs. And, but she was very clear. And it was the first conversation, I think, that we had in three, maybe four years, in which there was actual communication. She heard me, she listened, she responded. And it was kind of, I guess it was, you'd say it was a rather chilling call. She went through a number of things. One, she asked me to find out about a particular drug rehab center that a neighbor of ours had gone to. She said that she and Sid would like to go. They both needed to get off drugs. She said she was as low as she could get. And I said, Nancy, I've always told you that I am here for you if that ever happens. She said, I think soon you're going to find me on your doorstep. And she had mentioned something about the fact that Sid was very upset and that he had been hitting her. And this upset me very much, but I wasn't quite sure how much truth there was in it. And indeed, if there was, what could I do about it? She specifically asked for her father and her grandmother, with whom she had not, by her own choice, had much communication over the last few years. And she specifically expressed her love for them and asked me to deliver these words to her grandmother and to her father. And when we finished the phone call, I had already put the phone down, or was in the act of doing so, when I heard her yell, I love you, Mommy. And these were the last words I ever heard from her. When I hung up the phone, my husband was standing right there, and I did not say this now. I don't say this now in hindsight, but at that time, I said it was a very scary phone call. It was as if she were saying goodbye to everybody, and indeed, that's what she was doing. Damn. Hmm. Oh. Adds a little bit more of an ominous twist to this now, with yeah. that knowing that information. Um, but like I said, this from this point on, this is just what the cops what people have pieced together and this is when it starts to get rough so uh, i guess trigger warnings all around um but here we go sid and nancy get back to the room around midnight 
So now it's October 12th, 1978. And when they get back into the room, they inject some tuinols, and by 1 a.m., Sid is dead asleep. But according to his interview with police the next day, he says he and Nancy had argued a little, and when he fell asleep, she was lying in bed next to him playing with the switchblade. According to Rocket's Red Glare, Nancy had called him around 1.30 and told him she had $1,400 to spend on drugs and wanted him to bring Delauded over. Now, according to Neon Leon, again, he went to Max's after they left and he came back to his room around 2 a.m. He got a phone call from Nancy around 2.30. Did you find any pot like I asked you? Neon Leon again says no while he was actively smoking a joint with his friend. Well, if you find something, please let me know. Sid is useless because he did find some Delauded and he's out. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't have any. Nah. <laughs> Never heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have anything for you. Yeah. So during this phone call, Neon Leon says he heard a voice in the background. And he's pretty sure it was a person's voice and not from like the TV or anything like that. Um, and at this point, actor Ned Van Sant, Van Zant said he was he and Rockets Red Glare showed up at a room around uh, his room around 3 a.m. and says Sid was still dead asleep. It's just 3 a.m. now, and still Sid is still out uh, from those two and all. So Rockets and Nancy talk drugs, but it turns out Sid and Nancy owed Rockets some money, so they started to arguing about it which made Ned uncomfortable, but Mr. Glare and Ned left pretty soon after that with a fat stack of cash, which Nancy told Rockets they had gotten from a recent record deal. Another actor named Victor Colicchio said he was in, a, in room 100 at some point that night, and he saw Sid passed out still and Nancy with the fat stack of cash too, but he claimed some other dude with a name that started with an S like Spidey, Skippy, or Snakey. He doesn't remember, but there were other people there. Samsonite. According to that, way off, <laughs> way off. <laughs> According to that same police interview, Sid says he woke up at around 5 a.m. and the bed felt wet, and he thought he had pissed himself. But really, the bed was soaked with blood. When he got up, he found Nancy in the bathroom, sitting on the floor under the sink with a single stab wound, but she was still breathing. So he left the room to go get their methadone. Naturally, fuck. <laughs> Priorities. She's, she's like, well, breathing, she's man. breathing. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah be, I mean, she'll be here when I get back. A single stab wound, still breathing. But it's only a, it's only a flesh wound. Yeah, I mean the the bed was covered in blood so much so that he thought it pissed himself. She had a visible stab wound covered in blood, and she, but she was breathing. So I'll be right back. Got to go get some methadone. Get in the itch. I mean, I yeah, feel like you could have at least like maybe told somebody in the lobby on the way out though. No. Whoa, whoa. Single hey, focus, single focus mind. <laughs> Methadone first. Yeah, yeah. You got to slow down with that logic here. Yeah. So, a, a bellman named Kenneth West responded to calls about an Englishman banging door two two eight, which is on the second floor, and apparently that was Sid, and he wasn't too happy about Kenneth trying to make him go back downstairs. So Sid fought back, and Kenneth had to whoop that ass. And left Sid, according to court documents. I was either bleeding from the mouth or the nose. I couldn't tell. Kenneth is a black man from America. Um, 
Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I, know. Hey, yo. I did that one. On, that one's on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that was yo. on me. No, he was either bleeding from the mouth or the nose. Yo, I couldn't tell. It was more white. Damn it. Continue. <laughs> you, get, you get the point. Uh, then at 5.30 a.m., he walked into a different room and was still actively bleeding from getting his ass whooped. He didn't stay long because Sid had to be at the methadone clinic at 6. And no matter how fucked up Sid was, he never missed his dose. It, it actually was said that he had like an internal clock that woke him up in time every day because he was not about to miss that fucking methadone dose that he was doing yeah, every day. Withdrawals are a motherfucker. And so... yeah. His body's like, <clears throat> you need it now. Go get it now. Now, yeah. even if she'll be fine, she's breathing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll be fine. Do not stop the lobby. Her. Do not pass go. <laughs> get your fucking methadone. Go get your fucking face busted up, and then go get your methadone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, Sid and Nancy's neighbor Vera said she could always hear them arguing all the time. They were always in a screaming match. Uh, you know, because the walls are super thin. So you could hear everything. Can you imagine being their neighbor? Just all, yeah. with as much shit as they go through that we've heard about. Just the little bit of not even the day-to-day stuff. But just every, just every argument ever is heard through the walls. And Vera is unlucky enough to be their neighbor. But so she always heard them screaming. But on the morning of October 12th, instead, around 7.30 a.m., she could hear moaning from what sounded like a woman talking and she sounded like she was by herself and even neon leon in the documentary is like i don't know how you sound like you're by yourself but that's what she said well she probably didn't hear any baritone i don't know if Sid has baritone but any male voice talking back so it just sounds like someone talking having, to himself yeah no yelling no yelling at each other <clears throat> yeah she's really yeah. used to hearing them screaming at each other So when Sid returned, he said Nancy was fully drenched in blood and he started freaking out so much so that he washed off the knife and tried to wash her off. And when he could not wash it all off, he started calling out for help around 9.30 a.m. And he claimed he had no idea what happened to her since he was dead asleep all night. Why did he claim that? Yeah. Why did he claim what? That he was dead asleep all night? No, that he didn't know what happened to her because he was dead asleep all night. Like he clearly knew what happened to her because he saw it after before he went to go to his methadone. Yeah, but he just saw blood and a stab wound. No, she probably had clothes on. Actually, I can't assume. He saw the stab wound, though. He said that. Mm. Well, I'm more concerned with why did he wash everything off? Methadone. (laughs) Just (laughs) frantic. Yeah. It just it looks bad though. You gotta admit that looks not good. It, it does, bad. but I don't know yeah. how the the mind of a junkie. Yes, I don't know how that works and what their panic is like. I mean, if, if I wash the blood off, she'll be fine. Maybe like, right. I don't. Maybe. I don't know how that yeah, how that brain functions. You can like, find <clears throat> pictures of all of this, and you can see even her where they found her. Like it's it's not edited at all. Um, it's in black and white, but. Uh, she's laying under the sink next to the toilet in just a panties and bra with blood smeared everywhere and a single puncture or a stab wound right here in her gut. Um, Wait, where did he find her again? Like before he, like where was she? Same when? spot. Same spot. So how did in, he place the, her back in the exact same spot after he was trying to wash her off? 
He's probably just like throwing water on her. Yeah. And she was under the sink, so he's probably just using the water and like using his hands to like rub her down. I'm not sure. Probably why it was yeah. all smeared. You saw the smeared yeah. blood. It was from probably from him trying to rub the blood off. Yeah. So if you're wondering why Sid just left Nancy in the bathroom, you are not alone. The police wondered the same thing. What was Nancy's condition? She was breathing all right, but she wasn't bleeding. Okay, okay. Now, what did you do then? Then I went to my methadone center. Hold on just a second. What do you mean you went to your methadone center? You didn't call for an amber lamps? You didn't try to help her? You just left the room and went to your methadone clinic? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Amber Lance. I know. I was channeling the, my inner south, and I know this is New York, but I can't this do it. New York. I this can't, is a transplant. I He's not from New York. I cannot clearly. do a New York yeah. accent. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's yeah. It's a hard side one. episode on just the cop alone. He's got a whole story too. Yeah. yeah. He's from the <laughs> South. He, he, <laughs> yeah. he worked his way up. He, he wasn't ready for the, the mean streets in New York, but yeah, he wasn't he ready for it. that city life. <laughs> I like a nice and slow down like in the South. Yeah. He had a dog so, okay. that he came back to. <laughs> <laughs> Just him and his dog. <laughs> uh, dog name is Betsy. According to the autopsy report, Nancy was stabbed somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. And she died somewhere between 8 and 10 a.m. Just a sheer amount of blood on the bed that was apparently enough to make Sid think he pissed himself means she was stabbed in bed and made her way to the bathroom. Or after she was stabbed, she laid in bed for a while. But either way, a single one-inch wide stab wound from a five-inch blade wasn't bad enough to kill her quickly. And she could have, at any point, walked into the hallway to get help but she didn't she just ended up in the bathroom and laid there and slowly bled out till she eventually died there in room 100 of the chelsea hotel back it up hold up he had an appointment at six o'clock how did she stab herself between six and seven or someone stab her i don't know he was out fighting the bellhop the bellman he was on his way to. He was making his way downtown. No, he was walking no, past. No, 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 no. Uh, she he slept saw the stab with, wound before he slept, left. She slept with the switchblade. I don't know what to tell you. He saw the stab wound before he left. So the autopsy is wrong, saying that she was stabbed between six and seven because his appointment was at six. So he was gone before then. Right. Uh, and she was already stabbed when he left. All right, Detective Emily, you solved it. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right. Again, this is an account from drug addicts uh from no this is according to the autopsy so like we no, know no, that his no. appointment what, we, was... what i've said is from sid's point of view i woke up and saw happened. this yeah got ya yeah so obviously sid was arrested that day and taken to 17th precinct in new york but malcolm was able to post his bail uh either the same day or sometime soon and he stated sid may be an outrageous man but He's no murderer. Malcolm is from England. But as far as investigations go, is that not the English? Police... <laughs> that was fine. Was Irish that English? That. that was totally. Yes. Maybe that was Australian. I don't know. Yeah, maybe was I was. It wasn't I heard... Southern. <laughs> I heard Richard Speck, man. I don't know. No. I'm just willy nilly. I'm just willy nilly with my, my yeah. accents yeah. today. I'm sorry. It's all good. I was that reminds me of me and uh, Monster of Twenty One Faces just coming up with anything <laughs> random at all. Yeah, ah, 
crap. What can I pull this time? You know, I'm running out. I'm not that good at this. So as far as investigations go, the police felt like they had cracked the case because, you know, Sid was there. There's a knife. He's a junkie. She's a junkie. She's dead. He's not. Case closed. It was Sid in the bathroom with a knife. Simple as that. But within the Chelsea Hotel, some people noticed some weird shit, especially that Rocket's Red Glare had a fat stack of cash that day that was wrapped in a purple hair tie that was known to belong to Nancy. Aside from that, Ned Van Zant said he didn't believe Rockets would be capable of such a thing until one day Rockets tried to kill Ned. Then he was a believer that Mr. Glare was probably capable of, the, capable of this. Red Glare. Sorry, Mr. Red Glare. Then there was Neon Leon's manager named Skip Wayne, and that's possibly who Victor Colicchio might have been referring to seeing in Nancy's room. You know, the snake, snaky, skippy, snake, whatever. Snaky Samsonite, yeah, that guy. Samsonite, yeah. That's it's probably Skip Wayne who he saw. Then there was a guy that Rockets himself fingered, a guy named Steve C., but literally no one else in the building had ever met this guy or even heard of him for that matter. Plus it was Mr. Red Glare who was fingering him. So, you know, take it as you will. What? What's a, that's a fat finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to post this clip because Emily's face is just like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. um, something about fingering? What? What? That's the last time. I was like, huh? What? Yeah. You yeah. fingered a guy what? Okay, sorry about that. So it was, it was a bunch of p- people fingering each other uh, in the Chelsea Hotel. And, you know, again, Steve C. Steve C. <laughs> yeah, he fingered, yeah, he fingered a guy named Steve C. Yeah. Gotcha. Same. And Ned Van Zandt was fingering <laughs> Mr. Red Glare. Um, I thought we weren't testing. Like yeah, we weren't what? testing your memory here, Chris. You're just a guy named Steve C. No one knew who the fuck he was. No. Uh, apparently, he got fingered by Mr. Red. Red yeah, Glare. they don't. They're not even sure if Steve C. existed. Mr. Red Glare was just like, I'm gonna finger that guy. Not even sure if he's real. So as time went on and Sid was able to sober up a bit, he told reporter Joe Stevens what he had also told the cops earlier. Yeah, this is a cop. Yeah, it's a cop. Cowboys. Why why did you stay ever? (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember. God damn it. Why did you stay ever? Is it the result (laughs) of the fight? Did it happen during the fight? Or did it happen after the fight? I stabbed her, but I didn't mean to kill her. From what he said, he remembered after his quote-unquote fight with Kenneth, he got back to the room and got into an argument with Nancy, and he told the cops... Well, we did have a fight last night, and she hit me. Then I punched her on the top of the head, and she fell on the bed. Now, haven't you had fights before? Yeah, we've had a few, but they weren't that bad. So Nancy hits him in the spot where Kenneth had walloped him, and he just bops her on the head, and she falls down? Yeah. Is that, is that what I'm going to I'm going to stab, too. A little donkey yeah. punch? Just at the top of the head, and she just falls back. Whopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little, little bop on the head. <laughs> little bunny foo-foo. <laughs> so then Sid says Nancy hit him where Kenneth had punched him earlier. So Sid pulled out one of his knives to threaten her. And that's when in, this is all my opinion now, 
Nancy probably got close to the knife. You know, they were arguing and he pulled out the knife. She got real close to it and basically was like, fucking do it. I dare you. You know, like she's get coming closer and like pushing herself up against the knife. Like, dude, I, I want you to do it type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the knife went in. And again, in my, this is all my opinion. <clears throat> in the heat of the moment, Sid stabbed her, but said it was accidental. And this is when Nancy gets in bed because neither of them realized how bad the knife wound actually was. So when Sid returned from the clinic, it was too late. And the autopsy, it said. Nancy died of external and internal hemorrhaging caused by a one inch wide incision to the lower abdomen, deep enough to rupture the mesenteric blood vessels. Um, Let's hear from Nancy's mom about what she thinks happened. Of course, he never was tried so you know we can't say with certainty however i think that nancy knew that she was doomed as we did i think uh, that other last conversation in the car was we drove her back to the trenton railroad station pretty much explained that she said i'm 80 years old and i'm going to die soon i told you i will never live to my 21st birthday and she had been saying this for a number of years so i think that it was indeed her intention to die she had tried suicide twice. She certainly had tried suicide in the form of drug abuse. And somehow she couldn't do it, or it didn't seem to work. And I think that although she was violent, more interdirected than any other way, Sid was more outwardly violent. And I think she really made him a victim. And Nancy certainly, at her bad moments, could make you angry enough that you'd want to hit her or you know, do something just to stop her. And I think that Perhaps she egged him on in a way it was a form of suicide or that she certainly engineered her own death. She bought him the knife. I mean, this is just my theory. And uh, knowing Nancy, though, I, I really think that, especially based on the last conversation, that she just somehow felt it was over. Yeah. Uh, so same. Basically. Same thing, uh, like kind of what you were saying. Yeah. Like it's pretty egged close. on the situation. Yeah. And, you know, another theory, um, aside from what I think, which was just like a heated argument type of thing, another thing is that she had this pact with with Sid, and like I said, Sid was never going to go through with it. So it was possible that he was supposed to kill her and then kill himself, right? But he could have stabbed her and like, uh, and then either passed out from drugs or just not done it. Like, you know, gotten, you know, uh, what's it called? Feet? Cold feet. Cold feet. Those feet. You forgot what cold feet. I don't say it that often. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I like it had Luke, to do with feet. Some like Luke, <laughs> lukewarm feet or room temperature feet. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Warm toes. Warm toes. <laughs> I know yeah. it's toes. Yeah. Uh, toe, toes on the nose without surfing. Uh, that's not Damn it. it. But yeah, yeah. Even she was like she. She knows how Nancy is. She knows she's this person who can bother you to the point where you do want to stick a knife in her. You know, she she knows it's not out of her wheelhouse to be capable of that. Um, but I just thought it was interesting to include her perspective. That is her mom. Um, and if you read the book, I didn't I didn't actually read the book, but I did watch the interviews with her. Um, she wrote a book called "And I Don't Want to Live This Life," and it's her perspective on the entire relationship and life with and without her daughter. It's a really interesting read. It's actually give it worth a read entirely. But uh, she almost she romanticizes Sid and Nancy in a way where Sid's not the bad guy in the book. It's a really good read, though. 
I haven't read it again. I haven't read it. I just know it's a good read. Uh, so anyways, what's crazy is that the newspapers were reporting on the murder of Nancy and how Sid was lawyering up and were ready to fight for Sid. But in the news article about her death, it says... Vicious was arrested after Miss Spungen, also known as Nauseating Nancy, was found sprawled in a pool of blood. She's dead. This girl is dead. And that's it's sickening that they would refer to her as Nauseating Nancy in a news article. Um, and I, you, before we talk about because I do want to talk about this, uh, for the last time, here is uh, just to have a visceral like how this affects people. I want to end Deborah's interview uh, with this quote from her because it really makes it real how even the press and how they we know they have to sell papers but it really brings it in how their words affect the families of victims so here's deborah there was no attempt at all to give nancy any dignity i mean i understand what she was but she was still a human being and she still did not deserve to be murdered in such a fashion and the story was exploited and sensationalized till I think when I looked at the stories, I began to wonder who was the victim and who was the murderer. It still hurts when you see, let's say, a Saturday Night Live doing a skit called Nauseating Nancy or seeing the word Nauseating Nancy across the cover of New York Magazine. But it hurts, but you just, I decided for two years to completely not have anything to do with the press and it took me a long time yeah that's sad yeah that's yeah regardless of how gnarly nancy was or whatever that's it's just brutal and the press still does shit like that too maybe oh, not 100%. to that extent no i think like, it's, it's just as bad or, or not, not worse <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. Actually, i think they've actually gotten worse that's yeah, true every it's time- like more strategic now and just mm-hmm. dialed in and oh everything hurts. has a everything has a political like uh kind of backing behind it so like you take people who have been killed by cops even if they were criminals like that's the first thing they lead with is not the person was dead this person was did these crimes and then they talk about them it's the same thing like, or there's like, still a dead person uh, along the same lines and again i'm not i'm not trying to push pro police but it's always like unarmed black man killed by a white police officer. It's like, you're just trying to spur emotion. Right. Exactly. Is what you're doing. You're not, exactly. you're not, you're not giving the thoughts. You're just trying to, people are already going to go into this article or, or this, you know, news story with anger of like, Oh my God, how could a white police officer kill an unarmed black, another unarmed black man? It's like, yeah, it, it's this, it's the same thing, different side of the coin, completely same mm-hmm. thing though. But if they don't do that, which which just says a lot about our like mindset in the whole situation anyways, it doesn't matter what color you are, your mind immediately goes to what color was the victim or the assailant, whoever they are being referred to, and who what color was the cop? Like so if it's not published, I don't, I don't we're think still that way, but not I'm not saying like us individuals, I'm saying like our like country right now. Like that's yeah. primarily oh, there's a, the yeah, there's a big racial divide. Yeah, there's a big racial divide and I think media is uh contributing to that that's another topic for another day yeah (laughs) it's just shit that sells yeah yeah it gets you to click on it Mm -hmm. everything's Mm -hmm. clickbait one way or another right yep yep and like you said like will was saying even before reading the article you already have in your head going into it whose side you're on immediately before Mm -hmm. you even talk about what happened 
whether the facts are real or not, just by the article and the way they phrase things, you already like, oh, that person's guilty or fuck that cop. You know what I mean? Like immediately without knowing any other details, just by the words that they choose to use. And mm-hmm. nauseating Nancy is the same. Like it almost like, uh, you know, it's fine. It's this no. person died. Yeah, it must yeah, have been. That's, that's what it, it's just really passe. It's just like, uh, you know, not yeah. Nancy dead. Like, oh, well, regardless if they had family that's like really heartbroken over it or people that they cared about. And, you know, mm-hmm. just the fact that they paint her as nauseating Nancy, they're like, fuck them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Case closed. Also, that whole thing. Like, yeah, that, I mean, but that's just police work in that time, because I think I heard um I just think I heard from No Dog in Space. Uh, he's from New York. Uh, he said that um, the, there was about 8,000 murders that year. Yeah, about 8,000 murders that year. And this was uh, October, so they were busy. They're like, uh, Sid did it with a knife in the hotel room. Simple as that, because six other people have died since I said that sentence. You know what I mean? Right. So they, right they have to block. keep going. <laughs> right. They don't yeah. have the resources, unfortunately, to do their job properly. Uh, even if they wanted to, they couldn't because the city is just the worst city in the world in the seventies. It really is. So yeah, it, it was just unfortunate all around. Yeah. That's kind of how it is. Not to that extent, but uh, Portland is very lawless at the moment. <laughs> you don't say <laughs> we don't have, <laughs> yeah. The cops were like, okay, never mind. I'm out. And they just quit. We're just running and, around the streets. Like wait, what? Yeah. yeah. Portland is uh, wild. Wild please? West right now. It's please help. Hello. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, yeah. is it it's working not, out at all? Uh, not not really. Too early <laughs> is it like purge? Too early to that's tell. a whole nother. Yeah, fair enough. Is it like the purge? Too early to tell for sure. But no, it's not that bad. But okay. I mean, definitely, if you you have like hours of wait time if you call nine one one and it's not like that bad. And you know mm-hmm. what's that bad? But yeah, I have a lot of friends. To that the person the who's fucking calling, it's terrible. No probably, one. of course. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, but that's a whole nother, whole yeah. nother thing. But yeah, it's pretty yeah. wild. <laughs> Sounds like fun. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sure some people think it is. The oh yeah, there's definitely people. Yeah, all um, about it. Well, yeah, every yeah. drug is legal. Like, I would yeah. be so scared to leave my house. You get fucked up and go roam around the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like cops have to find a reason to like remove people from uh, property when they're doing drugs because it's not really illegal. So they'll be like, well, we can get them for trespassing, but that just means they're going to bring them down the street and then they're just going to come back. You yeah, know? Like, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's an no interesting drug time. is illegal. Like everything is legal. No, there's not I like anything off limits. Everything's everything's legal. I, I think it is yeah. everything. Yeah. Every every yeah. every like people just not, shooting tic tac fentanyl no, caps it's, or whatever it's like for, candy for your own for personal uh, use. Clarify yeah. not not legal decriminalized. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're huh. trying to sell it, I think you still get. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, you cannot, that's fucked. But mm. um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's an experiment. Hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's was it Por- Portugal did this and it worked out pretty well that everything was legal. I want to say it's Portugal. It worked out pretty well. So wait, if yeah. you can't, if it's if it's criminalized, I guess to sell it or buy it, I guess, but it's not decriminalized to do it. How are they fucking getting it? 
Like you don't, right. you just don't question that. Like you got yeah. it now. Like whatever, bro. <laughs> yep. Do you? Do you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, makes mm-hmm. sense. Fun. <laughs> I don't know. But like uh, I said, it's a whole conversation in itself. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's interesting for sure. So after bail was posted, Sid went to live with his mom, which ultimately was probably not the right move because she herself was a junkie. And if you remember, she was the one who gave him his first hit. Um, At this point, because of Nancy's death and his not remembering if he was the murderer or not, Sid was on suicide watch. And I think most people would agree that is definitely the right move. So they had him in a room with like nothing dangerous in it at all. They removed everything that he could hurt himself with or anything like that, except they left a light bulb in the room. So he unscrewed it, broke it, and sliced himself open with it. He's living with his mom. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to be like institutionalizing him in a house. Yeah, he's just kind of like, because he's out... He's out on um, bail. He's not. In well, then he's not on anymore. fucking suicide watch. Let's just put that out there. No, they were just point were blank in the story. No, no, like his family was like, we should probably. I mean, also the seventies. That I don't know what that. He was just like, hey, we should probably be careful. He might want to kill himself. And they were right. And because of this, he was admitted to to Bellevue, and it was clear he was determined to join Nancy sooner rather than later. Still, he was let out soon. And actually got a new girlfriend named Michelle. And they would hang out at Max's. And people were concerned for Michelle since she was possibly hanging out with a murderer. And this all got back to Sid who allegedly said. Shut your fucking mouth about me or you'll end up in a ditch. Which of course I probably don't have to tell you didn't help his case. Probably not. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I don't feel like he even gives a shit at that point. Oh, no, he so, wants to die. He like, wants yeah, to die. And I don't feel like he thinks that he's going to live long enough at this point to even mm-hmm. go to trial or anything. So he just, yeah, like you're saying, he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Which is sad for her family, that her mom especially. Yeah. Yeah, because she, like, she clearly says she never got justice for it. Um, you know, it, it sucks. It, he really is. Because they had a pact, and I think... If you if we believe the pact theory that he did his part by stabbing her but didn't can do actually he did her part by stabbing her but didn't do his part, then he probably feels guilt more than anything if that's how it really went down. Mm-mm. Dang, that's true. Yeah, he's I don't like, think fuck. he feels guilty though because of the way oh, he's I think acting. He, does. he he wrote letters to her, um, to his to her mom, telling her how much he genuinely loved her, how. He was, she was, I don't his doubt world. that he loved her. I just don't That's think that he, one knows what the hell went on. Two, she probably did instigate it and they were very toxic for each other. So I'm not saying that he stabbed her and I'm not saying that she just shoved herself into a knife, but like, yeah, there's probably some like, do it, motherfucker. And she's like, you won't mm-hmm. fucking do it. And you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah. that shit went on. So like, yeah, it was probably not a very good night for them, clearly. But I don't think that it was like, I don't know. I don't think he was like, I'm just, killer today no i don't think it was that at all it was either like you said the argument or maybe they had finally decided to go through with the pact but um either way sid was suicidal uh and really was just degaffing completely about this entire life at this point so on december 5th 1978 sid was at hurrah's watching skayfish play and he was just acting a fool like all night and he noticed a girl on the side of the stage named tara and she and her boyfriend, Todd Smith, who is Patty Smith's brother. Um, again, she was Which someone. 
No. Yeah. Oh, call back. Call back to Patty Smith. Yeah. She she's she did stuff. She was a girl yeah. that that did punk rock stuff. No, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan stuff. She did also Bob Dylan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Probably punk rock stuff. Um. Yeah. She's she's around, but her brother was a roadie or a, a guy who helped the Skatefish band set up and like was kind of like. Uh, I think at this point in the story, he is like a bodyguard type of thing or like security. Um, so him and Tara are on the side of the stage and he's dating Tara. And so when uh, Sid started messing with Tara, like hitting on her and like just kind of messing with her in general, Todd walked up and apparently asked Sid politely to knock it off. Sid didn't take too kindly to this and broke the beer bottle he was holding over Todd's head. And there was blood and glass everywhere. And this started a whole bar fight. Sid ended up getting his shit rocked and then literally getting thrown down the steps that led up to Haraz and was arrested again at 1.35 a.m. on December 6th for assaults in the first degree and possession of a dangerous instrument, which were a violation of his parole. Hmm. Yeah, Sid's out here just doing the most. Goes around, comes around, I guess, huh? Yeah. Finally, full. Not finally, but he's full deep end at that point. Doesn't yep, give a fuck. For sure. He's over. No. Well, then this actually is a callback um, to, I should have put it in here. I had time. But he, uh, when he was starting out in London punk scene in 75, 76, he'd actually uh, auditioned to be in The Damned, which is an actual good punk band um, from that time. And he didn't get the lead vocal part, obviously. And he was at a damn show and he was pissed off about it. So he threw a bottle on stage and it broke and actually blinded a girl. So he's what? been like this God his damn. entire life. Yeah. He's Jesus. been like this his entire life. Yeah. Sid was not a good dude. Like people say he was just probably gentle, but overall he was a shit fucking piece of right. crap dick. He was nice. Cause he was quiet and right until he was all fucked up all the time. But those are the ones you yeah. gotta watch out for the quiet ones. Yeah. And Absolutely. also there was his, one of his friends said that he had, um, hurt an animal in some way i don't want to say because i don't remember exactly what he did but he he has these uh episodes where he's violent so this isn't out of the blue necessarily so it just adds more fuel to the fire of this dude probably murdered his girlfriend uh especially acting like this fucking a month after his girlfriend died so at this point now he's in rikers island until february 1st and so that's almost two months of being sober when he gets out Um, And he seems to be in good spirits when he gets back. However, the only person actually waiting for him when he got out was his mom. And she was so excited to see him. She was so excited, in fact, that she had gone to get him some heroin for him to do. What the fuck? Solid. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's nice. I mean, first of all, did he expect like a ticker tape parade or something? Like, okay, his mom's there. His manager, um, Malcolm, was supposed to be there because he paid for the release or he wanted him out to like help him try to get his life back on track since he already had two months over. Malcolm wanted to take advantage of this, but Malcolm was busy, so he couldn't make it. And so the only person there waiting for him was his mom. mommy dearest. Yeah. So obviously because, you know, she had done him a solid and bought some heroin before he got out. All he wanted to do was get back to his mom's hotel and shoot it up. But when it came down to it, she had bought some shitty drugs and it was not good enough. So, his friend Peter Kodik went out to find him some more. 
his other friends knew he was getting out. So they decided to throw a little get together to celebrate. And people like Jerry Nolan was there from the Heartbreakers. Jerry only from the Misfits was there. And you know everyone's just there having a good time. They're playing music. Sid is jumping around, playing air guitar. Uh, he just seems like he's got his spirit back, you know. And he's been clean for two months, so he's just kind of happy Sid now. Well, that's because he doesn't know actually how to play guitar. Yeah, air guitar is his only way to play. <laughs> <laughs> looks cool. That's it. Yeah. That's it, man. He's got. That I can do both. Cool. Yeah. He got that. Air guitar is cool the same pack. as regular bass for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn yeah nice uh, now with yeah now with like technology and just on stage you could probably i wonder how many bands do that like it's just for looks and like mm-hmm. the dude really does suck like kind of <laughs> like a, super bowl halftime shows where they're not they're really not playing like when chili peppers didn't plug their instruments in to show everyone <laughs> that they're not playing uh nice i wonder because you could just have it in the same key. Oh, do they do that? Or someone in the back. Was on purpose? Do they do that on purpose? Yeah. Oh, just oh. like kind of like a F you to. Yeah, because they were like, it like, doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, yeah you're just going to play a track and we'll pretend to play our music. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think Anthony Kiedis had his, I think his vocals were on, um, but there's still a backing track. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. So at around midnight, um, on February 2nd, 1979, Peter Kodak finally shows up and he brought heroin, heroin with him. And when Sid asked for some, they straight up said, whoa, this is not regular stuff. This is really strong shit. And when they got the levels back later, it was found to be something like 80% pure. Sid doesn't give a shit. He said, fuck it. He takes his usual hit, which is stupid on so many levels. Obviously, there's a sheer strength of the heroin. 80% pure is pretty brutal and secondly he's been off of heroin for two months immediately he's ODing but his mom does not want to call an ambulance because he would go straight to jail do heroin straight to jail uh, you know luckily he does die though he eventually wakes up and is apologizing to everybody he wakes up like I'm so sorry I, I scared you guys I'm sorry I, I didn't you know he's really apologetic and when the people around him saw him awake and talking they're like alright we can go now you're, you're good, right? I got to go. You know. Damn. Because, you know, Jesus. at this time, it's like 2 a.m. It's like it's like 2 a.m. So they're like, okay, good. You're live. Woo. All right. See you. Right. We're going to bounce. Out. <laughs> that was crazy. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> you're good, though, dude, right? All right, cool. Dude, yeah. you almost died, man. <laughs> All right. You got a fucking dart in your neck. <laughs> <laughs> Big gulps, huh? Yes. Yeah. Well, see you later. See you later. <laughs> So again, we have reached another point where we don't know exactly what happened. But what we do know is that Sid's friends received a call shortly after they left saying something was wrong. And when they got back, Sid was dead in bed next to his girlfriend. And the girlfriend woke up screaming because Sid was dead next to her. That had to be jarring. That Mm -hmm. I'm not waking up to a dead person. I'm just not. There's probably like fucking vomit everywhere. Yeah. It, it was rough. So now there's a few versions of how this happened. And I think it's pretty well established that he got the drugs from his junkie mom, who, by the way, also dies from an OD in like 1996. But anyway, what we don't know is, is if she had the drugs and Sid just took them, like, I'm going to get high and you can't stop me. 
Uh, did he know it would kill him? Or maybe his mom knew that Sid was likely going to end up in prison for murder of Nancy Spungen for the rest of his life. So she thought she would save him from all that by just straight giving, uh, straight up giving him an overdose on purpose. We don't know. Either way, Sid died not even 24 hours after getting out of Rikers. His mom gave him shitty drugs, though. His friend gave I mean, him the good drugs. The puro. Yeah, but either way, I think his body, he might have had the same drugs that maybe she had the, the good drugs. I don't know. We don't know, like I said, whether he said, give me those fucking drugs. I'm going to do them. You can't stop me. Or she was like, here you go, Sid. Or, you know, either way, it, it was on purpose, whether it was him doing it or she she did it. It was yeah. on purpose either way. Yeah. So as far as the investigation and trial went, the system basically said Sid probably did it, but he's dead now. So the case is dropped. And literally never looked at it again. They never investigated if anyone else could be to blame, despite people from Chelsea being like, hey, you should probably look into this. No, they don't care. Done, done, and done. You guys remember that uh, Rocket's Red Glare cat? Probably should take a look at that guy. No, I said yeah. he's dead. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I well. guess it's, I guess we figured that one out, huh? Okay. It's yeah. closed, huh? Strong work. Yeah. 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 So Sid was cremated, and even though Nancy's mother absolutely did not want Sid anywhere near her daughter, Sid's friends still snuck into the cemetery where Nancy was buried in Philadelphia and spread his ashes all over her grave. Now, when I say snuck in, by the way, I mean in the middle of the night, in the middle of a snowstorm, they, including Sid's mom, scaled the fence and somehow found Nancy's grave with just flashlight, flashlights. Also, flashlights? according to one of the flashlights. <laughs> Um, flashlights <laughs> yeah so yeah they were just in a storm they literally <coughs> scaled a fence and in this entire cemetery they managed to find nancy's gravestone don't know how they did it fucking the highest kites guaranteed well speaking of which so on the way to the uh, cemetery um according to one of their friends on the on when they stopped at a gas station when they're on their way they had all agreed to snort some of his ashes and so he made lines and the one guy whose idea was, he's like, he did it. He did the line of, of Sid Coke. And then everyone else is like, I'm not fucking doing that. Dude, what the fuck? It was a joke. Yeah, it was a joke, man. That literally they must have been, they literally must have been all fucked up. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> that one guy who did is like, what do you mean? Come on, man. Come on, <laughs> you man. guys said you would. Yeah. So We're just like, more from me. Yeah, so the they like, oh, yeah. <laughs> managed to spread Sid's ashes all over Nancy's grave. And that is the end of Sid and Nancy. Finally. My computer you heard it here up. first. No, no, this is like the 700th media stores. <laughs> first from us. There definitely yeah, wasn't the a first, previous episode no, about this. No, definitely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah, so do you guys have a, you guys, are we all in agreement of what happened or do you guys have your own version, maybe your own thoughts about it? Mm, I don't know, this time sense. around, yeah, I mean, yeah. the first time, since this is the first time of, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, is, this is your first and only time hearing of this. Yes. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I kind of think, like, Sid just did it. He stabbed yeah. her. Yeah. He, and it was malicious it. intent. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of, I think it was what Emily was saying is she was probably egging him. I'm like, do it. You're not a fucking man. You won't do it. You know, whatever. And he's like, eh, I'm a man. What are you, Stanley yeah. Ferocious? 
<laughs> huh, she called him. She definitely fucking just said that. <laughs> yeah. called her she last said you'd never like, say that. <laughs> we promise, babe. But I also, okay, so I, I did say that. I think that that's what happened. Like, But I also think that she probably was like so antagonistic with it. Like with the, she's probably berating him, belittling him, whatever. But she was also at the same time, like by telling him that she wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. She was probably leaning up against the knife. Like, I feel like that's how crazy their relationship mm-hmm. was. And that she yeah, yeah. was, right, you yeah. know, really like to the point of maybe even nicking like, you know, herself with like puncturing herself. A little bit but not like fully stabbing herself i don't think she did that yeah and it just took a little bit of effort on his part to just go here yeah 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 well it's probably either way intense as fuck right yeah Yeah. oh yeah had to have been i think it was just uh drug fueled nonsense and he probably he probably did it out of rage something sparked it and it's like fuck it and then in the morning, he's like, oh, shit, what happened? Was that a dream? Yeah. Bl- oh, she covered in blood. I, Nancy, you're not going to believe this. I had a dream. I stabbed you. Yeah. Hey, stay there. I got to go get our method in. I'll be right back. Don't you go yeah, down I'll on me. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You need your dose, too. Yeah. Don't you go down on me now. Well. Yeah. And okay. I think he was, a lot of drugs were obviously, there had two and alls and whatever else they can get their hand on. Um, but he had to, I mean. It was probably an alcohol, drug-fueled craze. They were arguing like crazy. Uh, she bopped him in his head where it hurt, and he said, "You know what? I am going to do it." I don't. I don't think it was a suicide pact. I think this was an argument gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think she probably did call him Stanley Ferocious. Stanley Ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, on Sid's death, on Sid's death, did he do it or did his mom do it? No, he did it for mm-hmm. sure. He did it. I don't think that he yeah. was trying. Okay, you keep saying that it was on purpose. I don't feel that it was. I think that the th- the dude had thought he had the same tolerance and was like, I'm going to get fucked up today because I just got out of prison. And like, yeah, no, bro. That's not how it works. Like, you got to build up to that shit. He didn't have the strong shit with his mom. And then he, his friend went out and got some more. He did a little bit more. And then it was like a little too much. And then he did a little bit more later because he was probably coming down. And he did a little too much that time. And he yeah. probably didn't do his dosing right. He did the math wasn't math, and he didn't do enough heroin with his meth to like counteract to like go down a little bit, but not all the way. Um, you got to do the math right. Thank you, heroin master Emily. You're welcome. You heard it here first. You got to dose correctly between heroin. heroin and meth. Just my patients just tell me. I don't know anything about it. I think it was probably a combination. I think the first hit he did that got him like, whoa, that's way too strong. I think he was like, I don't have the tolerance. So this next hit, I'm going to make sure I don't wake up this time. I mean, it would have been like the easy way. Okay, I say easy, but I'm not like meaning it like in an ugly way. But like that is, yeah, if you're going to have death by drugs, go out being high as fuck, not know, or go to jail, I'm going to say that, yeah, he probably did choose the death by drugs, but I don't feel that that's in this case that his intentions were, I'm going to get out today and I'm going to do a fuck ton of heroin so I die. I think I'm getting out today, so I'm going to do a fuck ton of heroin so I can get high. Oh, yeah, I died. And they were partying pretty hard. He was excited. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't have any tolerance at all. Nah. None. I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't know where I would land on that. No, I don't, I don't. 
it's hard to say. I don't think it was his mom as, as much as people want to say it was. I don't think, I think he, I think it was intentional in my opinion. I think he was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. And then did. So anyways, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us for the first time. Thanks. Yeah. The story. Thanks for yeah. being here. For your first time thanks. on the Blood Thirsty Times podcast. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No, this was fun. I like, like what you got going on. I can't wait to hear, wait to hear more. Thanks, man. You got anything? Yeah. You want to plug anything? Uh, I know you already told us about a tour, but you got anything else going on? Where can people find you and stuff? Mm, oh, on all the social medias and then all the streaming services, Spotify, Old Cross. Uh, Old Cross will bring you up to speed. Actually, I will say if you look Old Cross up on YouTube, it's normally just like old Christian country songs. So Nice. Uh, be more specific, <laughs> old cross band, or something. but yeah, a video of someone Can't... filming an old cross of a church in some <laughs> random oh, cemetery. Man. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, that's an no, old there's, cross. There's a good, yeah, there's a good three pages before <laughs> yeah. before you get to old cross band. Yeah. yeah, but we were able to somehow land old cross. It wasn't taken, so I was like, all right, there it is. But, Perfect. Yes, yeah. awesome. or we haven't got sued yet. I don't know. But yeah, anyway, old cross <laughs> anywhere. Yet. Yeah, it's coming though. One day. Hopefully we'll get that lawsuit. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, awesome. That's it. That's all we got. Um, thanks for listening to this one. We put a lot of effort into this one, if you couldn't tell. And also, Chris, I forgot to mention, Zami Media is now our sponsor, right? Like that's how this works? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, contract yeah. is in the mail. Snail mail. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. The snail is the mail. Um, yeah. So we should send yeah. over any, any day now. Yeah. couple pints of blood and uh just sign it and then yeah yeah, yeah. all right cool awesome. emily you want to tell us where to find us you can find us on instagram and facebook at bloodthirsty times or on twitter and tiktok at bloodthirsty pod and you can email us at bloodthirstypod at gmail.com but we don't check that email very often we'd really prefer you guys contact us on instagram or facebook instagram preferably thanks, thanks. sweet all right yeah. guys we'll see you guys see you next, next week, week. you ready for spoopy Later, season spoopy Oh, yeah. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.